first. That's all right. <laughs> That's okay. I'm Yusa. Uh, yeah, so yeah, this is it. It's the video game hour. And the first yeah. of 2018, actually. The video game hour 2018. So happy belated New Year to all of our fans. Is our third year of operation? Our third year of operation. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. We're really doing the long haul. Yeah, I mean, right before, <laughs> I mean, what is it, the two episodes ago when we did the retrospective? Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Looking back all of our old episodes. So yeah, if you guys want to retrospective, a quick catch up on who we are and how we talk about games, that's uh, two episodes ago, our first video, well, not our first video, our first like full-length video episode. Yeah, um, we're sticking with the video, you know, yeah. it's it's nice to see our faces if you listen not on iTunes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but hey, you know, give, give the option to the people. Yeah, to the people. Let the people see what they came to see. For you, the people. <laughs> it's also easier for us to track YouTube uh, views, I guess, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. I haven't done that yet. <laughs> <laughs> if you look back at our, like, yeah. 24 views, it's really yeah. incredible. Uh, I'll keep an eye on. But to all 24 of y'all, uh, seven of which are probably me re-watching it, uh, <laughs> thank you so much for yeah. watching it. And in 2018, we hope to you know continue to make these awesome videos. Uh, and I think for this one, we're gonna start out uh, with the, one of our, one of my favorite games of last year, mm -hmm. late last year, uh, Mario Odyssey. Um, but before we get into Mario Odyssey, uh, any other games, anything else you've been playing, anything that you've been thinking about or doing, anything we should tell the people? Tell the people. Tell the people. Uh, what you've been up to, man? How's well, your New Year? <laughs> New Year is good, very light on games. Oh, yeah? Um, just, I don't know, like, I think something about the winter deadening of energy, like, resulted in me just watching more TV and movies. Nice. We got that movie pass. Oh, for, um, yeah! Which is like uh, this card you get in certain cities where you can just see, like, unlimited movies, like, and you pay on a monthly basis. Amazing. It's like under 10 bucks a month. That's ridiculous. And, then, and it works, right? Yeah, it works. Like, you can perfectly get whatever movie you want Every to see. theater accepts it now. Like, pretty much every theater. Even the Alamo accepts it. Oh, but, amazing. So, we've just been seeing a ton of movies. Anything um, really good? Anything worth checking out or recommending? I know it's a video game hour, but, you know, you mixed know, media. Mixed media. Yeah, we, we, we don't just play video games. No, we don't. <laughs> Little do you know. <laughs> I'm sure they know by now. <laughs> um, I just, we watched Phantom Thread. Oh, how um, is it? Which is really fun. You know, you gotta love PTA. Like, he's yeah. just, like, a really, a, a director who's very confident in, like, his tools and, like, his, his methods and, and the way he, like, he weaves this movie together is, just super entertaining and like deep and impactful. Like the characters are just really fun to watch, and nice. there's a certain amount of like comedy in everything, despite like some of the darker yeah. themes, like about like um, women being stuck in these gender roles and awful men kind of dominating society. There's still some like humor in there. Yeah, there's humor that, and then, and then a certain kind of rebellion that um, is like an undercurrent and like blows up. Um, as, it, as the movie progresses, so awesome. worth it. Worth the worth the view. I, yeah, I, I love all of it. Anderson, especially because it's supposed to be Daniel Day Lewis's last performance. Supposedly, supposedly. I, I never trust an actor. It's like Kojima saying he's yeah, done with Metal Gear. You know, that's it. Although yeah, he might be done with Metal Gear, so yeah, he might be officially, <laughs> officially off, off, off the reservation. Game. But I mean, you know, the Death Strand, Death Stranding, uh, looks pretty interesting. It so, does look know, interesting. Happy to see him, you know, doing new things. And like, you said you're not interested in Metal Gear Survive. Yeah, I think I'll take a pass. <laughs> <laughs> I might get suckered. Into and what it. is it? What is even the, the the hook of that game? It's like you're. Did you did you play the Phantom Limb? Phantom Thread? No, Phantom Limb. No, oh my not. God, connections. <laughs> Basically, in uh, Phantom Limb, fucking <laughs> <laughs> Phantom whatever. Yeah. You have this whole like. Well, they actually introduced it for the first time in Portable Ops. There's these wormholes 
that you can like use to like Fulton people. Like mm -hmm. Fultoning is like this idea of like when you're on the battlefield, you can um, incapacitate but not kill enemies because like I love any game where you don't have to kill. Yeah. Um, so in the Metal Gear series, a few years ago on the PSP version, they they started this whole thing of like you can upgrade your Fulton. The Fulton is this actual military technology that was tested and I think used a couple times where it's basically used to quickly medevac or extract soldiers from mm -hmm. the battlefield. They basically ride a rapidly expanding hot air balloon and then are snagged by a flying plane. Like yeah. a plane snagged and they get like pulled into the cargo hold. Yeah. So if you upgrade that technology in Metal Gear, it like goes full Kojima Zaki yeah. and you can upgrade it into like a wormhole. So instead of like having to like deploy this like balloon that takes like you know three to ten seconds to like get out of range of like enemy fire you yeah. can just like instantly suck someone into a wormhole and they end up back at your base so once they introduce this zany wormholing yeah metal gear survive takes place uh in kind of like a alternate reality uh because as phantom i'm gonna keep saying thread as phantom pain uh kicks in this big military base that you've been building uh, called Outer Heaven is destroyed by like one of the sec other secret spies. It's all very convoluted sure. and crazy. Um, and Metal Gear Survive takes place as you're just a random soldier that works for the big boss, works for Snake. Mm -hmm. um, and as this attack is going on, a wormhole opens up. A really big wormhole opens up and starts sucking all the shit into it. Mm -hmm. And so you are a soldier that gets sucked into this wormhole, which is like basically taking a sidestep to the entire Kojima universe, which okay. is like a somewhat clever and weirdly yeah. Kojima-esque Infinite Planets. Uh, yeah. DC, Infinite Planets, exactly. DC, yeah. But it's also like, for Konami, as ham-fisted and shitty as they are as a uh -huh. corporate publisher, it's actually very Kojima way of sidestepping and like divorcing themselves from Kojima. Yeah. So you like wake up in this alternate reality where there's like zombies. And it's all, it checks all the AAA boxes right now. You have like crafting, survival, base building, and zombies, which is like the holy quadrilogy of making a triple AAA game right now. Yeah. So you basically have to like, it's cooperative, there's a little bit of stuff, but it seems to be more action. I haven't played it. There's a free beta this weekend, but I haven't gotten around to it. And you're just supposed to like survive. You like base build and like go around in all of Metal Gear uh, Phantom Pain's incredible mechanics. And if you remember, every time we've talked about it, I've kind of always summed that game neatly up as saying it's a fantastic engine that's looking for a fun game. Yeah. This is potentially going to be a fun game that's just like much more discreet and sort of grounded, as weird as zombies and crafting and base building sounds, grounded in just like, oh, I have to like expand my base so I can defend myself from these waves of zombies and I go out and explore yeah. this open world. Yeah. Because, you know, in Phantom Pain, your missions were really fun, repetitive, uh, and the world was really giant, but empty. So giving the world a bit more things that the player can do with it might be a cool thing. It's yeah. not going to be Kojima, um, but in a weird way, neither was the last Metal Gear game. I know we never did an episode on it, but like it was like the least Metal Gear Metal Gear game that I've ever played. Yeah. So now that it's dead, why not dance on its corpse? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, Metal Gear Survive, whatever. Phantom, right. The Phantom Thread Pain. Yes. The Phantom Pain Thread. Um, Anything else? Yeah, I've been um, playing Star Wars Knights of the, of the Old Republic. Nice! Two. Classic game. Oh, 2. KOTOR 2. Yeah, KOTOR 2. Cool. Um, just because I heard that's the one to check out oh, okay. of the two. Um, and yeah, just getting, you know, getting through it. Because of my, my lack of game time this month, 
it's just been hard to actually get pro to progress in it. It's very yeah. RPG, like yeah, you um, need hours at a time. Yeah, I'm still like, I'm still in the same base. I think I've been playing it for like almost 10 hours. And you're just like, and I'm still in the basically piece. tutorial area. Oh no! Um, so it's a bit frustrating. I'm trying to get, just trying to like, get out. Get out of that area just because I'm like, rapidly losing interest. I don't want to like kill yet another like, uh, basically malfunctioning droid in this like mining colony oh, God. for the hundredth time. Yeah. Um, so the rats of this RPG universe yeah, are yeah, not even droids. real enemies. No, They're no. just droids that were reprogrammed. To mine humans instead of rocks. Oh, that sucks. But um, I have got, got a taste of like some of its humor and writing because it's you know by Obsidian. Oh, great. So like so you know, they, yeah, Obsidian has like is generally pretty on top of like um, adding nuance and comedy and wit to their RPGs. Like they didn't fall out New Vegas. Yeah, um, totally. They've done a lot of uh, RPGs over the years, uh, and yeah, you get some of that. Like some of the there's like a droid who's like an enemy, but he's like very hilariously like sarcastic oh, nice. and like nice. passive aggressive awesome um which is like i, I think we're so i kind of miss out from the new star wars like you kind of don't really have a c3po yeah like, it's something new star wars yes the, yeah. last, the yeah. last jedi last jedi any thoughts there um, it's, it's a cultural milestone or whatever for the the nerdy set for sure i mean thoughts i i thought it was fine I, I, I didn't it didn't like really impact me in any kind of emotional way i kind yeah. of came away from it being like you know this is a fun movie, like if it really like I don't know, it's, it's it sometimes like can be like too pejorative, but it's like a kids movie. Yeah. In terms of like the um the just like how little everything matters, like it, everything kind of just wraps up so neatly yeah. or just plays out so neatly, and it's I don't know, just like when I when I see like online just people like kind of going off and how important this or that plot element is, I'm just like it's it's just it's not it really isn't. Um, yeah. And like the original ones are a kid movie too. That's why I liked them when I was a kid. Exactly. <laughs> like I feel like there's there's so much nostalgia that that like kind of buoys this this movie yep. higher than it needs to be. Totally. I mean it's it's beautiful. It looks really cool. Like I will agree. Yeah, it's fun. beautifully shot. Yeah. That's one thing that I definitely uh, yeah. can admire about it. It was beautifully shot. Yeah. Some of this like cinematography and staging really used the whole frame, which was really nice. Yeah. Some inventive shots. Some like just richly like beautiful shots. I just didn't enjoy it. Yeah, I think, like, um, it wasn't like, I don't know. I mean, I might, like, at some point write about, like, part of why I'm playing in KOTOR is just, like, to see other elements of the universe. So I don't mm -hmm. want to, like, try and write about, like, the fiction and how it, how it all fits together and, like, whether it's, like, whether there's, there's, there's more meat to it, essentially. Yeah. And I think a video game allows you to explore that much more totally. than a movie would because you have hours and hours yeah. to spend with the source material and kind of, and also, like, to potentially influence it in some way, like you know, in all the Kotor games, you can either be a Jedi or a Sith. Yeah. So you can kind of like see how like it has like also it's very it's where Mass Effect kind of built, like built its like Renegade Paragon yeah. system. From. Absolutely. So like you have a little bit of agency in terms of like how your character goes through the world. Yeah. yeah. Um, which yeah might impact how the story plays out. So um, yeah, I, I, think I kind of want to try it and see if it affects how I feel about Star Wars. Yeah. I'm just kind of like, I mean, you know, I have, it's a nostalgic um, property that is like, I'll never be able to truly shake, obviously, just growing yeah. up with it. So I'm interested and, and still like open-minded about what, like, feeling something totally. about Star Wars. And mm -hmm. I'm like pretty much shaken. Like, I'm, mm -hmm. I loved Star Wars. Like, growing sure. up, uh, if you remember our friend Nick, uh, was probably one of the people, one of the 24 <laughs> people who actually watches this. Like, Nick and I like dressed up to go see 
the like re-release of the original trilogies, mm -hmm. and then like I was Vader, he was like in a dope Boba Fett outfit. Sick. I was like CBS, and he was like costume shop. Yeah. Um, and um, <laughs> but like a plastic face. Yeah, mask. exactly. No, he was like he like bought like a replica thing. It looked amazing. Wow. Uh, and so I've like always been a lifelong Star Wars fan. But I gotta tell you, I think like nostalgia obviously is a huge deal. I also think like the franchiseification of it, the like Disneyfication of it. The cadence of the releases has beaten the fun out of it for me. Like, I will not be able to avoid seeing them because I have uh, four young nieces and nephews in Utah that Jess and I go to visit every, uh, every Christmas. Yeah. And because of the release cadence, they love Star Wars. Yeah. So we're all going to go as a family yeah. and see Star Wars yeah. once a year at least. But like, that Han Solo movie is coming out in like four months, and you would not, you could not drag me into that shit. Like, <laughs> not because I'm like, don't. They're, what have they done with my fuck? Like, I don't care about like, their childhood. Yeah. They can make whatever choice they want with yeah. the plot. And I the wish they would make more outlandish choices. I know, I kind of wish they would yeah. turn the shit on its head. Like, yeah. I don't think it should be deified. I think it should be exploded. Yeah. But I'm just tired of it. It's yeah. the same way I'm getting tired. Like, I've got superhero fatigue, too. Sure. Like, I well, still haven't seen that Thor yeah. movie. It looked yeah. really funny. Um, and I just like every time I go around to see a movie nowadays, I'm like, I'm gonna just kind of want to like see a good movie, mm -hmm. like a movie that like is not about the regurgitation of a hero myth yeah. or just like the superhero finds their way. Like it's just like the same movie over and over again to me. Like, right Black Panther though. I'm so gonna <laughs> see Black Panther. I don't know why, but that shit has got me by the fucking. It's got me. I'm excited. The soundtrack sounds dope so far. The fucking actors that they've chosen are so dope. Just yeah. having them all together in a movie. And Coogler. Coogler's, um, uh, yeah. uh, both Fruitvale Station Fruitvale. and Creed were like top notch films. Yeah. So, yeah, to see him do a temple, I'm fucking, I'm gonna go see him tomorrow. Absolutely. Fuck. Absolutely. But it's Black Panther. Yeah, yeah I see Black Panther. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, so, but yeah, I think for me, you know, other media that I've been really, I've been, my, me too, I've actually kind of been dipping into nostalgia a bit with you, Coats, or with me, it's been the SNES classic. I got mm -hmm. the SNES, like, mini or whatever. Uh, and I immediately turned around and uh, side-loaded like a hundred other games into it. Mm -hmm. So I've got like, a little SNES jukebox, so it's really fun just like replaying a bunch of games that I really loved and discovering a bunch of games that I did not know about when I was a kid. Yeah, so there's only so many you can buy, because they, they were like 60 bucks at the time, right? I know, man. Yeah. I had a pretty big collection in the debt, like I guess relatively, but yeah, I would like save up my money and buy like a new game every quarter. Yeah. You know? Um, but yeah, it was, it, it's really fun, and then like Switch obviously has got my number, so you know, been playing a whole bunch of games there, Enter the Gungeon is a lot of fun, mm -hmm. replaying Skyrim, which is just actually weirdly, now that it's on a portable system, is like the perfect like 30 minute time killer, you'll just do like one quest, and be like, I like know how to put this game down, and I can pick it back up whenever I want, yeah. because like the quest system is an inventory, and the world is like laid bare, and the mechanics are so simple to pick up and play. So it's actually a fun one, weirdly yeah. to not go deep into, but just kind of like pawn skin on that. That's the kind of game it is. It's very superficial. Yeah, it yeah. is kind of superficial. So been really enjoying that. Um, but yeah, I mean, game of the hour. Should we? Yeah, speaking of child properties. Child, oh yeah, child, like, nostalgic <laughs> properties. Yeah, we're uh, here today to discuss one of my favorite franchises of all time, um, and actually, I think a heavy contender for game of the year of 2017. Uh, Mario Odyssey, which was a first-party Nintendo-developed game, Nintendo-developed and published game, um, and it was released in 2017 to epic fanfare. Like it received really, really good uh, review scores, um, and generally was just loved by both critics and fans alike. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Did you enjoy it? I did enjoy it. I thought it was a fun game. You know, like 
Capital F fun. Yeah, capital F fun. It's very joyful. You, I like that. Unpack, unpack that. Unpack that. Capital F fun. Joyful. I mean, it, it, I think it's executed through the tone and the a lot of the, the mechanics of the game, and the, and the fact that it's fairly easy. I mean, I wouldn't call it like over, like kind of boringly easy. It's easy in a fun way, which yeah. is kind of interesting. Like, yeah. um, it's not like you don't feel like you're just repeating similar motions over and over again until the game's over. You're always trying something new. Yes. The new thing is usually pretty accessible. Yeah. Especially because of the mechanic they added, which is the hat. Yes. Happy. Kirby's copy mechanic <laughs> in hat form. Yeah, I mean, like, which is kind of like a get-out-of-jail-free card most of the time, because you just, you're falling off a cliff, and you just reach out and swing and catch an enemy, and you're <laughs> back in the game. And Or like some big monster that you can just, you cap them, and like, you're like, you're in, now you are the big monster. So it just, it, it's almost like a god mode cheat cheat of the game, especially like the, have you played the two-player at all, like, no, where you control the no, hat, which is kind of insane because it just completely breaks the game, obviously, because really? one player is just a hat, huh. so you can just fly around and like land on any monster you want, and oh, like, wow. I mean, the only danger is when you leave Mary behind, <laughs> you, because, because the hat is Wait, so, so you powerful. you can have a tethered, you can have an untethered, untethered and hat. another creature that you've possessed? Um, yeah, I think so. Damn. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. You can do a lot. Holy shit. Um, I mean, yeah. Actually, maybe think about maybe it does. Once you get a creature, that yeah, might just become Mario. Mario. First player, yeah. Might I'd be like, that's insane. It'd be, it'd be too. I'd be rolling with a hammer, yeah. brother. Yeah. I'd be like, whatever, man. Uh, hammer brother, you know. Um, but yeah, so like, essentially, like to unpack that the joy, joyful aspect of it. I mean, it doesn't get more on the nose than in the New Dog City, which um, I mean, a lot of uh, critics have complain that it's a little, you know, too early, or it's kind of like uh, the pacing of the game is so uh, centered to the core of that, of that experience, oh, that experience, where like, yeah. it kind of, you get this peak in the, in the middle of the game where it's just like, have so much fun, <laughs> and you're just like, you know, like your character is just like, and, and the experience is um, just unrivaled in terms of um, sheer energy yeah, in the rest of the game, like where you kind of, once you like go around the city and solve various like little problems to get to you know, to get to the point where the mayor is like, let's have a party. Then you party. You like it's like the most party feel that a game has Absolutely. pulled off in, in memory. Like when where you feel like you really like everybody's really celebrating. Yep. Um, and you're going through these little like nostalgic, um, almost like a story of Mario's life uh, and the the franchise history. Yeah, absolutely. And celebrating that and celebrating just like the you know Nintendo making it this far and exactly. making this game in twenty seventeen. So. Um, I think that city and like a lot of other elements of the game just really um, uh, reinforced this this vibe of being very happy and joyful and light spirited. Yeah. And it's so so playing it always feels very it kind of like it's a bit of a, a relaxer, a de stressor. Absolutely. Know? I actually I just want to also like pile on to that point that you were making about the sort of positioning of New Donk City mm -hmm. and of the Pauline Mayor Pauline celebration moment mm -hmm. at about the halfway point of yeah. the game. It actually to that exact, I noticed that as well. I was like, this is like the most fun part of the game, <laughs> yeah. and there's more game after this? Oh my god, there's like another half of the game after yeah. this. It actually, weirdly enough, uh, both in its structure and also in its style, reminded me a lot of a classic Hollywood film. Uh, like classic as in like 1940s, 1950s, like maybe even 1960s Hollywood film. Uh, an American in Paris, or uh, any of the sort of large stage big production, even like the Ben-Hurs and the like 
uh, Cleopatra's, because if you look at those films from a structural standpoint, they actually do peak at the halfway point mm -hmm. and then come down. Uh, they bring another sort of complicated, they like do this whole establishing thing and you see the rise of these characters. And then yeah. there's usually this kind of uh, bit of a sloping arch as like another major problem, the major big bad or the major conflict of the, the love triangle is exposed or whatever. And there's that bit of denouement, that, that classic storytelling bit of a let down before the final conflict and the final rise. Yeah. And that cadence is markedly different than the other sort of Nintendo game of the year because they had a fucking hell of a year Nintendo had a mm -hmm. hell of a year with the releases. But Zelda. Zelda is this completely decentralized, um, completely DIY, make your own adventure thing where entire parts can be excised and cut out, but it keeps on emphasizing the end. The end, the end, the end. Yeah. Defeat Ganon. Like, the whole point of that game is you have a very, very small, like, um, plateau, the Great Plateau, like this, this really big rise that happens right at the beginning of the game as you do the first four dungeons and get all of your core powers, and then there's this massive opening. It's yeah. like, you leave the plateau, and then the rest of the game is a plateau that could rise or fall based on player choices that leads directly to the end, mm -hmm. the pinnacle peak. In fact, the structure, the physical structure of Hyrule Castle. It's like one of the higher points of the map, and it's one of the like most interactive climbing experiences beyond mm -hmm. the simplicity of just hugging a mountain and going up. So the whole game of Zelda does this like blip in the beginning, yeah. and then up to you about the variance, yeah. but then it all kind of meta towers up, 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 yeah. to the very last moment, and then the game just ends. Right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. And with Mario, it's this much more, you're climbing to the halfway point, and then you're right, there's this demi-mont, there's like this come down, and then it kind of, of course, for the players that make it to the end, there's that final hump of just like the big bad of Bowser mm -hmm. um, and the reveal. So I, I felt like it, it felt like classic Hollywood uh, versus a lot of the sort of newer forms of cinema that have very different rises mm -hmm. and falls. Um, also, also because of the open world game, yeah, um, they kind of have to embrace that flatness in terms of plotting because, I mean, it, it's, it's much smarter to do that than to kind of try and force like a standard like three act structure exactly. of, you know, like having uh, a build up, to, build up to a climax because an open world game always deflates that because you don't necessarily have to go straight to the climax. No. And most people don't. No, no most, most people, people don't. Will, will <laughs> six yeah, and kind of have their, yeah, like you're saying, these mini climaxes yeah. of experiences and they kind of go out and maybe stop playing for a little while or come back later. So, but they're yes. all player choices and player earned. Yeah. Versus Mario, where it is much more manicured, yeah. and it's a much more controlled scenario, even though this is one of the open area or open world Mario games. It's an exploration-based Mario game. Yeah, but it's still a hub-based. Kind of, yeah. Each world is a hub. Exactly. And each world has, I have prepared a whole bunch of notes about how each world has, uh, each hub has um, a lot of very distinct repeated areas or parts that make up the hub. And I think that's actually really important to uh, my experience of the game, because I also think that this game in particular highlighted the capital F fun uh, and the capital J joy of like what it means to be a video games player, uh, unlike a lot of other games. Like, there are games that make you feel smart, that make you feel powerful, that make you feel um, sad, that make you feel hopeless, that make you feel hopeful, that make you feel all sorts of things. Mario Odyssey made me feel joy, mm. made me feel happy to play it, happy to enter its world, uh, and happy to explore its environs. And all of its environs are actually incredibly structurally inviting. Um, and I took some notes to talk about some of these zones, if yeah, you don't mind me uh, talking through. Because I thought that um, each world, um, from New Donk City to Toast Arena to the weird, like, feudal Japan Bowser world, 
they all had some common elements. I broke that down into areas. So here's the areas that I think every single world shares. Uh, intro area, and the intro area is the starting area of each level. Kind of gives you a bit of a mechanical and an aesthetic overview. Uh, so if you're in the soda world, you have a little swimming area that you can test out the swimming environments and maybe even see one or two water-based enemies before you jump into the larger pool uh, or the larger ocean. The underwater castle, the, the underwater like dome thing is another mm -hmm. one where it's like you start in a very small controlled area where there's like a little pool. Uh, the forest areas feature an intro area that our forest worlds feature an intro area that has climbable trees that actually looks up to the vistas that you're trying to climb to and gives you an overall sense again of a preview aesthetically and thematically and mechanically of what you'll be dealing with in the larger area. Um, in fact, the intro area, uh, as I call it, of New Donk City was particularly interesting because you're actually off the city. You're on those steel girders and the skyscraper that's connected by yeah. that single thing, and that's a one of the first times in the game that you actually see a world that's made up all of 90 degree angles and hard edges. So even just like having to find your footing on a couple of the balance beams that connect like the small structures that make up that intro area is really important for the player to like get a sense of their thematic and mechanical grounding. So there's always an intro area. Uh, I also think that there's also uh, always neutral or non-confrontational areas. And usually this is the area that you leave the intro area with the couple of enemies that you might see there and go directly into a non-confrontational area. And mind you, all of the worlds might have multiple instances of these areas. Um, and I think the neutral or non-confrontational area we know very well as the street level in New Donk City uh, or the, the pueblo, like the village area in Tostarina, where you go and there's structures you can climb around, there's power moons to be found, but there's no real enemies and there's no real environmental challenges other than the ones that the player opts into. Like you, you have to pursue an enemy that does not pursue you in one of those areas. So non-confrontational areas. These are places where the player catches their rest, they get their bearings, they find some hidden stuff. It's exploration, but it's not confrontation. Uh, then there's the conflict areas, the confrontational areas. These are parts uh, of the map, not only that feature enemies, but also uh, environmental obstacles that could kill you uh, or could knock you down the peg. Uh, or could even toss you off the area of the map you're at to a lower zone or to another area. Uh, so confrontation. And in fact, it's, I, I thought it was really interesting as well in New Donk City um, how so much of that level's gradation of danger has to do with your height. Like the street level of most of New Donk City is actually quite safe. There's no real enemies around and taxis can't hurt you. And all the challenges of the ground level area of the main New Donk City are player chosen, they're opted into. But the minute you start going up those buildings, enemies appear. Obstacles appear that can hurt you or kill you. And it just becomes a bit more of like a challenge as you go up, which I just thought was interesting. Um, but conflict or challenge areas. Um, and then there's the boss areas, right? Obviously these are the places where either a sub-boss or a main boss like interrupts your flow. You can't really leave it, uh, or you can't enter it without accruing conflict with a boss. It's a special event. Um, and finally, uh, the course areas. And course areas are uh, the places that feel the most like traditional Mario levels. Uh, these are, um, you usually go into like a warp pipe. Some of them were like the retro 2D uh, sequences, but some of them were still in 3D and they were just little puzzle boxes or arenas or linear levels that remind you a lot of what it was like to play a traditional 2D or 3D course-based Mario game. Oh, and I forgot one more, sorry. One more was the reminder area. This was kind of like the the version, of, the second version of the intro area uh, that happens later on in the worlds. Uh, the reminder areas were, I think, really important actually for establishing the player's sense of space in their overall progress towards the goal, the boss area, but 
unlike the intro area, the reminder areas were usually positioned to look back, back towards the intro area. So um, in World 2, I can't remember, it's not Deep Forest, but it was the other like climbable, the one with like the extendable leg like bird things that yeah. you possess. This is, it's a very yeah, second biodome one. Biodome one. one, yeah. When you're climbing that metallic tower, you get to a ledge, a vista, that um, when you're not fucking with the player controls on the camera, will automatically orient itself to be looking all the way back down and you see the intro area where you started. Mm -hmm. So there's these really, and they do this a couple times, there's yeah. one that's halfway through the climb up the polygonal food mountain. Mm -hmm. uh, there's all sorts of them throughout the game. So. With those basic yeah. structures, the intro area, the non-confrontational, the confrontational, the reminder, the boss, uh, and the courses, that to me was the structural contents of every single world. And some worlds had more or less of them. Some worlds were really neat about how they organized them in a physical relationship with each other. And some were really linear, like the uh, the Bowser world, the Shinto yeah. Temple one. Like, start in an intro, go directly into a non-confrontational, and then you've got a couple of really difficult platforming conflict areas mm -hmm. that lead to a break that serves as both a neutral area, a non-confrontational, and a reminder that points you, like, wraps itself back around so you're looking back at the start. It's just, it's there. And yeah. I found those areas in all of the worlds. So I mm -hmm. thought from a structural perspective, it was very smart, very neatly organized, um, and yet another feather in sort of Nintendo's design cap to, like, think so... Uh, consistently about the shapes and forms that a player's journey would take them through. Yeah, I think having such simplistic building blocks allows them to experiment other ways. Yes. Like, for example, how you how many different interactions and mechanics are introduced in every every new level. Because once you um, because it's based around you know Cappy absorbing the enemy, mm -hmm. and then and all the enemies have their own little. Um, have their ways of interacting with the world. Yeah. So you have the other, you have the guy you mentioned that has like the legs that grow really high. There's the, all oh, the fish are some of my favorites. Oh, like the fish. Uh, I mean, just the regular fish is really fun. Yeah. Like, the flounder-esque, like just like getting around the yeah. underwater, like the movement feels so natural and fun. And jetpack fish. Yeah, in general, jetpack fish is fucking good. It's pretty amazing, <laughs> like in that little like it was kind of the soda fountain world. Or yeah, that, that was yeah, soda, like soda fountain. That was soda fountain. Where yeah, you kind of need him to like actually fight the boss at the end. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like what, what are some of your other favorite like character mechanics? This is ex oh character mechanics. Um, like definitely stretchy leg dude. Yeah. <laughs> Weirdly enough, this was not one of the action oriented ones, but in terms of pure personality, the uh, Easter Island head, the oh, Moa sure. head, or whatever those what are they called. They they have a name for them, but uh -huh. those big stone head dudes. Yeah, with the glasses. With the glasses, <laughs> you see secret paths. Yeah, yeah. It's really the most one of the most unremarkable from a movement perspective, and for such a kinetic game, I'm, it's weird that I'm choosing that one. But they were just oozing personality. Yeah. You put the sunglasses on, and if you stand still, they start like humming old Mario themes, <laughs> like to themselves. Yeah. They're just like fun. They're weighty. Uh, they, they can't move. It's it's weird that I'm even expressing liking that one. So but that's yeah, a, I think the animation itself is it's really it, it's subtle but surprisingly funny. Yeah. Like, especially when they put the glasses on, the way the camera's angled, like it's just like you're like, Hoop. yeah, Hoop. Hoop. like, like you know, the glasses come down and it's like, <laughs> like, like oh, they're okay. just like hmm. having having such a restrained like animation palette is like makes them really fun. Yeah. They're refined as they are. And then, like, the spiky-nosed guy in the Shinto temple. That was super fun. That was I one of my know. favorite um, moments of the game, where you're kind of like, you're like, can I go out there? And I like, can. And, yeah, you kind of just, you're really, like, hanging over the abyss. And yeah. just, like, trying, you know, use your nose to, like, propel you to different parts of the of those worlds. And just, like, hang on 
for dear life and then try and do it again and you're, and you're, la and you're surviving. It's actually, yeah, I was like, kind of wish there were more um, um, interactions like that like, yeah. in the game because like it's, it was like such a, it was, it was so interesting how fast you learned that that's what you used to do. Like you're like, oh cool, like like stab enemies, like, oh I can stab the wall. I know I oh can my God. Like, actually get move around that way. Oh so cool. I think that the again, even the design of how they rolled out those copy abilities was really smart. Mm -hmm. I mean they started with such simple interactions. I mean you basically start with the frog and frog's frog's job. In anyone's common imagination, mm -hmm. in the most basic sense, you know, frogs are made to jump. Yes. Right? So you're like, oh, the very first copy is a frog, now I jump really high. Great. Yeah. This makes sense. Yeah. This is the mental building block that I need to welcome me into this new mechanical world. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, oh, a Koopa next. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, here's like one of the most common enemies from the Mario milieu. Like, now I am one. What can I do? If I'm a Koopa and I jump on another Koopa, because we jump on Koopas, yeah. oh my god, now I can stack. Yeah. Okay, these things have like a whole new world of like possibilities. Let me see what else I can do. It, Really, again, the thing that I appreciate the most about, I think, this Mario franchise is from such simple roots, right? Mario, if you remember, before the Americanized version of him, he was called Jumpman, right? In the original release in the, say, in the, in the Japanese arcades. And Jumpman is a man that jumps. <laughs> it is in the, it's the entire game encapsulated, the entire mechanic encapsulated, in the name of the character. Um, and from that incredible simple relationship of pressing a button and getting the immediate response of Mario jumping up and down, you had that world 1-1 of Mario, right? Mm -hmm. Where the very first thing that happens is, it's like, a, it's like a tutorial and an idiot test mixed together. A Koopa starts walking towards you. This is all the way back in like the classic, classic Mario. And that's it. That could have been the entire game for most players. They just don't figure out the timing of the jump. Lord knows when I was like single digits, I did not figure that out for a while. Yeah. But once you do, you've essentially grokked everything that you need to finish the rest of the game, right there in that one interaction. Um, and it actually, I think, relates back again to that incredible equation of, uh, or, or, or sort of conflation of um, height equaling danger in New Donk City. What a beautiful uh, expression of that same single, simple, structural reality of what Jumpman is. If your weapon is your ability to go above an enemy and land on it, then danger is what's happening to you, right in front of you and below you. Like, basically in front and below you, that's danger. And so you have to get above it to hit it. But then, if you go up in a world, if you raise your universal height in a space, then there are more things that could be in front or below you. Right? Your danger increases exponentially. And nowhere is that more apparent than like a new dock city, or as you climb the polygonal food mountain in the food world. Like it gets more dangerous as you go up. And it's like what's, a, what's that world where you crash land? Um, the first oh time, yeah. And like dragon danger world um, or whatever. No, before the oh, dragon. Oh oh oh. Uh, because you crash land twice. Yeah. <laughs> so totally. it's very susceptible to getting shot. Yeah. Um, but it's like it looks almost like a food world. It has kind of oh, with the like, stretchy caterpillar guys. Yeah, stretchy like lava guys. everywhere, yeah. and like there's like a, that really tall peak where you see toads chilling out yeah. there, and then you can like capture the bird. Yeah. But which is a really fun interaction as well, like just a one-off, just like this is the gliding. Oh, the gliding yeah, lizard. Yeah, gliding lizard. Yeah, the gecko yeah. or the flying or pterodactyl yeah. looking guy. Um, so much fun. But then that, that level totally has that like kind of ver like vertical like outlook on everything else. We get to the yeah. top and look down like, oh, this is everything I can get to. 
Um, so it gives you, and then the reminder bird, yeah, you get to the bird and, or the pterodactyl, and you're like, now I can actually literally fly there. Yeah. Um, which is like a few times when it gives you that much movement, freedom of movement. Exactly. Yeah. There's a cool, couple of cool secret areas you can get to once you've been, once yeah. you have access to the Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so I just feel like, again, it's like Mario's always been, uh, it's almost like a distillation of like pure. Like what to me, what video games always have meant, which is like a very simple kinetic experience or mechanic that you permutate on, and you explore endlessly, um, and with the copy mechanic on top of it, it just I don't know, it, it became kind of a hundred games at one. Like I would love to see future DLC or something, free update that basically just like unlocks all the copy abilities so you can effectively break the game. Because mm -hmm. right now, many of them are available in a lot of different zones, but not all of them are available in all the zones. Sure. So it'd be really cool to just like break the fucking thing and just be like, okay, now I'm going to have like Frog in New Dunk. Now I'm going to have, you know, whatever, X and Y. And like, it would be kind of cool. But I, I no, don't... I mean, at the same time, like, you have to admire the, the design brilliance of, of restraints the, <laughs> they put in the areas where they're you know like otherwise they would get you'd get like a certain kind of you'd get frustration yes. if you got an enemy that didn't interact with the world in the way you needed to needed to do at that time totally and that's what's like so brilliant about it like you know you're like oh I'm, let me just there's an enemy in front of me i'm not even thinking about how i'm going to use that enemy but once i cap him and then take over his his um, abilities i'm like oh i can stretch my legs or i'm a caterpillar i can like go how, how does this work? Like, how, like you're, getting, you're given like the solution to the puzzle before you even see the puzzle. Exactly. And then you get to the puzzle, and then you are you're like it just clicks instantly because yeah. you know what you can do. Yeah. 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 It's a really good observation. I like that. Like you have the solution before you even see the puzzle. It's and it it's a great sense of interactive design because you're priming players before you challenge them. Yeah. You're giving them practice with the tool before it's necessary for their survival or for yeah. their progression. They're not, they're not like hunting for a key once no. they get to this wall and they get to kind of figure out how to get around it. You're already like, I know what key. to do. I am the key. <laughs> I am the key. Um, but it also, I have to say, there's one thing about it, not that I didn't like, but that I noticed throughout, which was, ah, like, as I'm playing through the game, I kind of realized that all of those little moments of like, aha, or oh, this is fun, or oh, this is joyful, I lost them all. The, the rapid fire progression of finding power moons, of never leaving the world, of never like having an exit of the level, uh, of not really even having a game over screen, because you can't really die, you just lose 10 coins. Mm -hmm. The whole thing was really fun. The whole thing was really fun. But it's hard to pick out individual moments other than the new Doc celebration level experience where you're just like, I am playing a music video that I will never forget. Yeah. yeah. Like I sing that song sometimes in the shower. <laughs> like I'm I wish I was Mario in that moment. Yeah. But it was such a moment. Yeah. And this is not a game of moments. This is a game of like it's like a to bring it back to film, you know, one of the biggest complaints that I really agree with that I've seen about superheroes, Star Wars, all these different movies, is that they're scenes, they're not films. Mm -hmm. They're like a collection of really cool tentpole scenes that are strung together with shitty other scenes, mm -hmm. and they're just like a series of scenes. Yeah. And really when I like rewatch, like I'll like get fucking baked with my, with like my other friend Nick, like Nick Aronis, and we'll like 
be like, oh, Avengers, like, let's put on Civil War. And we'll, like, put it on, and we'll get baked, and then we'll just, like, skip from fight scene to fight scene. <laughs> we'll be like, oh, I'll yeah. skip to that scene where he says that really cool line. We'll, yeah. like, skip to a bit. Yeah. yeah. But it's not like a movie. It's not like a film that, like, leaves you with an impression, right? Mm. It's just like, that was a cool scene, that was a cool scene. I don't really remember what happened between them. It's like the difference between, like, an album where, like, it just has a bunch of... A couple of like really good songs that you yeah. kind of want to listen to, and yeah. then like some not so good ones. Versus yeah. like Odyssey is a concept album that you listen yeah. to from beginning to end. And mm-hmm. It might be hard to pick out individual. There's one or two songs that will stick with you forever. Yeah. Like the sequence in New Dock City. Mm-hmm. There's like it's like it's just a pinnacle moment, you know. Yeah. Um, but I will but not I would, remember yeah. it all. Yeah. But I would, yeah, in terms of the analogy, I don't know. If I would say it's a, it's a well. You can describe your, yes. your <laughs> album, but I'm thinking in terms of um, the album that you, you sit through the whole time, which I guess is the kind yeah, of Yeah, yeah, I guess that's how I meant I would, it. Yeah, would, a front to back album. Yeah, I would say maybe it is, it's less that because it doesn't have, like, some, not all the experiences are, are, like, they're not necessarily needed. Especially in the, in the fact that you kind of, like, can choose what kind of levels you go to and in certain different orders, sure. like, in terms of, like, um, it doesn't, like, there's not, like, a steady progression of, like, Powerful moments like you're not, New York City can exist on its own. Like there's no the level before it doesn't really make you, um, doesn't really set you up for it. Oh, I see. Like, you know, yeah. It doesn't like there's not you're not like you don't need to sit from beginning to end of the game to get the whole experience mm-hmm. as you do with certain albums. Like it's it's just a lot more of like like you're saying like like individual like experiences and then like a couple standout moments. Yeah. And then like, but like in terms of like. I feel like it, it, it makes it, it results in it feeling less like a cohesive whole. I see, I felt like it did feel like a cohesive whole. And uh, this is just a matter of like our subjective experiences, yeah. but I felt like, for first of all, the name Odyssey, yeah. right? This is fucking Homer's epic of coming home, right? Mm-hmm. And Mario is consistently, essentially, trying to get home to Mushroom Kingdom, right? He's uh-huh. trying to like return back to his N64 level, mm-hmm. which is a really interesting thing, because like, when you beat the game and you get through all that stuff, like, you land essentially, ostensibly, back in the Mushroom Kingdom, yeah. back in N64, Mario 64. Um, and so in that way, I mean, that's the beginning and the end of my higher comparison to the epic poem, mm-hmm. but it was consistent enough and it was linked by this, you know, vessel that carries you, this cap-shaped, you know, sh- you know ship that you ride on, you're powering yeah. up with power. And so the thread throughout, yes, there was no thematic consistency about why were we going to caricature America and then caricature Mexico, and then caricature, like, the ordering of them seemed arbitrary, mm-hmm. uh, but the voyage did not seem arbitrary. To me, it felt like a cohesive game structure. Um, yeah, but I mean, yeah, for, structurally, yes, but thematically, we can agree, less so. Oh, sure. Um, but that's, like, where I think I picked the bone, I think, is really just, yeah, like, Odyssey also tourism. Like I, I saw a lot as like um, hit me, man. Hit like me. he's just like a Japanese tourist. Okay, okay, like, unpack that. Visiting various areas around the world, or like how Japan sees various areas around the world. Um, and we had talked uh, before the, the cast about you know cultural appropriation okay. being an issue with the game, and it, it's uh, it's no clearer than when you're in like Tostino, Tostorino, Tostorino, Tostino's tortillas. I didn't even think about that. that. Like, oh no! <laughs> it's Tostino's world! Oh no, uh, they're little fucking nacho chip shaped fucking yeah. coins too, the purple coins. I yeah. didn't even think about it. Uh, but yeah, I think that is like, for me, that was a, that was a takeaway of feeling like it was you're just like a tourist and you are um, kind of bouncing through these worlds and like seeing all, all the 
the easily packageable experience. Like we're starting to build out of these building yeah. blocks. And you buy stickers and you buy trash. Yeah, you, you, yeah, you literally go to like a gift shop yeah. like in, in each, at the, end of, the beginning and end of each world. Um, and so you kind of have this, um, I mean, which I think definitely structurally works. Yeah. Um, and well, makes world perfect tour. sense. It is literally, it's a world tour. Um, and you, at the end of it, you just go home. You go back to, you go back home. Like you would in Odyssey, but also you would at the end of like a vacation. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah. and this is both in and out of the video, actually, let's, we can start in the video game world or whichever world you want, real or video game. Like is tourism itself cultural appropriation? Like it's going to partake of a culture uh -huh. temporarily and ingest parts of it that you experience yeah. and then bring those little parts home with you, those little trinkets or tchotchkes that don't actually yeah. represent the real thing, but they're a, a facet or a, almost like a, a symptom, a cultural symptom of someone's lack of intimate understanding yeah. of your culture. You bring it I back. think it's like, that's a really interesting question because I mean, it's clearly not on the surface cultural appropriation, but then you also have examples like Logan Paul, which kind of blew up in December. Fuck, good um, call, man. And, you know, specifically in the Specifically society. a tourist who went to Japan and not only uh, took a picture of somebody who committed suicide in like this area where a lot of people do that, yeah, but also um, like there's other videos of him like going around wearing Shitting like a hat Japan's mouth. and yeah. just like being the worst, most like typically American, um, ignorant and and rude and I awful. I thought the other videos were actually worse. Like it was a yeah. really terrible breach of humanity to film someone yes. who had committed suicide. It's hard. They're of a piece. Hard. Yeah. But yeah, the other piece. one, the other videos were more pernicious in that they were like funny, permissible. Yeah. Like he could have made a million of those videos, we never would have fucking called him out on it. Absolutely, you know yeah. It's below the bar. Of, it, but like, it's like of, it's insidious. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's it, yeah. It feels worse. It, it did. Um, but anyway, sorry, you were saying partially because he gets away with it. And um, but yeah, I think that is like an interest. Like, but that is like an example where tourism does over does like overflow into this cultural appropriation um, um, arena because he was bringing his hangups. And his like ignorant stereotypes of what Japan exactly. was. So he wasn't going there to like learn about Japan. He was going there to like act out in his fantasy vision of what Japan was like, which is like geishas and like everyone's like smaller than him and weak, weaker than him. And he can do what he wants and like then like fuck up koi ponds and yeah. and wear like hats and, and like just trash various places like because you know he had this uh, sense of entitlement and um, uh, this performance of of acting out in a place that he didn't feel was real. Yeah. And I think that this, um, like Odyssey does, doesn't like um, shit on these cultures, but it does um, in many ways view them as things that aren't real. You yeah, know, like, they, um, they can be sampled. They can yeah. be like, they can and, like, be appropriate. And, like, literally appropriate. Built, <laughs> built into like a, something that isn't the culture, you yeah. know? Like, and, you, and you go to like, Tostarena? <laughs> no, I'm just thinking Totino's. Tostitos. <laughs> you go to Tostino. You know, like you, you get a little bit of, the, of Mexican culture, but you also get um, Egyptian culture. Well, Mayan, and, Mayan culture. I think the pyramids were fair game. Yeah, Mayan culture, but then the but also some yeah. yeah, that's true. No, it's literally everything. But the Sphinx shows up. I mean, no, you're right. I'm not denying that there is absolutely cultural appropriation. I'm not yeah. even defending it. Yeah. I think it's just um, it was that. That's where I'm. I'm trying to figure out, and I'm trying to suss out because I don't. I don't really answer myself. Like, what is the line between tourism and appropriation? What is the line between experience? Experiencing something uh, mm -hmm. and learning about it uh, versus uh, wearing it as a badge of status because he yeah. kind of does both. Mario does both yeah. in some ways. Like they are somewhat representational, not they're cartoonish, they're not mm -hmm. real, 
I mean, all the real citizens of food world in the real world are going to be really offended by that. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, like, they, there's a certain level of reverence, yeah. and then there's definitely a certain level of, like, cartoonish caricature. Yeah, but I think that's interesting because I think it's the line that we always have to, like, um, draw and, and depict and, how, and, like, how J Japan, like, like um, represents other cultures because mm -hmm. it is very reverent most of the time. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean it's good. No, it doesn't necessarily <laughs> mean that it's That's deep. true. Um, the reverence itself and, could and, be based in a falsehood or in a... Absolutely, and I think, like, there's this, I think, a, a long uh, history, especially in the 20th century, of the way Japan, like, um, Having, having already being a very like homogenous and xenophobic country, um, like will then go like you know reach out and experience the rest of the world yes. and and simplifies it and, and, and makes it into iconography um, without necessarily like wanting to know the real truth of you know like yeah. for example Japan has this weird you know love of Africa <laughs> like um, African cultures. Um, not necessarily of maybe modern Africa or like the cities, but then we'll have like uh, I think uh, this romantic like fetishization, fetishization or colonialist like yeah. kind of um, or borrowing from colonial imagery and depictions and like you know of the, the savage and yeah. and uh, this I mean the culture just just I think based on partially the fact that it's so different than Japanese culture, but also this like it it can often trip into like fetishization. There's also, um, I just watched, just happened to watch yesterday, uh, Scorsese's film Silence, mm. which depicts two Catholic priests from Portugal, uh, played by Adam Driver and Andrew Garfield, yep. go searching for their old mentor. Mm -hmm. The Catholic priest, also Portuguese, played by Liam Neeson. So yeah. already we're whitewashed. But, um, but then they, yeah. go, they go over to um, uh, Japan to find this guy who has seemingly renounced his Catholic faith due to the incredible torturous persecution of any practic practicing uh, Catholic priests or students, like people who are just believe in the faith, uh, who are native Japanese, indigenous Japanese, and they like torture them. They like yeah. pour like sulfuric hot water from like the hot springs on them. They like drown them. They bleed them upside down. Like crazy torture. Um, but one continuing uh, theme is that you know the Japanese magistrates and inquisitors who were doing, who were carrying out this sort of Inquisition against Catholicism, funny that they use the word Inquisition, mm -hmm. um, they continuously talk about how the roots of Catholicism or Christianity uh, could never grow in Japan, mm -hmm. that there are certain worldviews that will never take root here. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a really interesting meta-narrative throughout where, you know, Andrew Garfield's characters are fighting so hard to, like, secretly, you know, baptize kids and yeah. find their, you know, their mentor and whatever and, like, turn the tide and, Put a foothold of Catholicism, but by the end of it, there's spoiler. Alert, there's like a change of heart and a change of faith, seemingly, uh, where they are like, "No, you're right. Japan is a swamp, and nothing, you know, no Christianity can take root in a swamp." So there's this back and forth fetishization of each other's culture, mm -hmm. a complete place of unknowing and ignorance. Mm -hmm. um, and the twist is that, you know, that, that really relates it to the points that you're making here is to the point of fetishization. There's a moment of very clear doubt in the heads of the Catholic priests, where they think that the Japanese peasants that are becoming Catholic, that are converting to Catholicism, don't fully understand the spiritual ramifications of faith, but cling very desperately to the vestiges, the physical symbols of the faith, mm -hmm. these little grass and wood carved crosses, uh, the little uh, secreted scrolls that show the face of Jesus depicted, and all these like 
objects, not the faith itself, but the objects of faith, the fetishes of faith uh, that they believe that the Japanese people are clinging so desperately to. Mm -hmm. So there's this real interesting exchange of cultural fetishization from both angles, where yeah. they're both reducing each other to nothing because of their ignorance of each other's true culture, and they're both trying to convert each other constantly throughout the yeah. entire film. So it's just an interesting no, side it, note that really reminds me of where you were going with that. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's really apt, and the movie it does like it's an interesting work in like kind of um, just the angle of Japan that, and the way like Western culture doesn't necessarily see it, you know, yeah. um, see it that way in, in terms of its history, and especially like just like as a place that rejected um, colonialist advances for yes. so many centuries. Yeah, they centuries. just closed their borders. Yeah. The Dutch were the only people allowed to trade with them, I think, of the three or four international communities that did reach out for trade in the yeah. 16, 15, 16, they first started opening their borders to trade. Yeah, which is like really, I mean, com I mean in many ways commendable because they yeah. survived uh, a lot of what could have been, what, what wrecked a lot of other countries in Asia. Absolutely. Um, and, but then, you know, you come into the 20th or 21st centuries and um, Obviously, a lot of things have changed. Yes. Um, well, what's interesting too is yeah. when you think about, like, when we talk about, I know this is kind of a side note to no, Odyssey. Just born, yeah. yeah, I think it's like this idea that when I was watching um, Silence, I really remembered how fearsome the Japanese culture was before they were subjugated in World War II, before mm -hmm. we dropped the bomb on them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think sort of modern and postmodern Japanese culture has been so affected by. Uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, obviously, um, where we now speak of them as this country that has been stripped of a military, um, has been stripped of a lot of the sort of like hulking, sort of brutish uh, vestiges of colonial power yeah. that we perceive as powerful. And yeah. they have been infantilized and they have been basically prepared for the bullshit stereotypes that Logan Paul carries out in his crazy videos. They're all like weak and short and whatever. Yeah. Um, but these were, uh, these were a culture of warriors, these were a yeah. culture of very carefully protected uh, culture that was, you know, thousands of years old, dynastic, and um, it's just amazing how the perception has robbed a lot of that country of its power or agency. Um, yeah, it's yeah. like masculine, like you know, hegemonic power. And it almost like it, 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 it it's interesting how that is used as, as cover in many in many cases, like that Japan sees this, or, yeah, or will yeah, depict yeah. itself that way. Exactly. And, um, you know, like for example, like there's like a strong right wing in Japan yeah. that is kind of regrets losing that um, kind of power, that, that, that image of power and that that ability to spread its power. Who wants yes, like to rebuild? Power. Who want to rebuild the military? Who want to like you know create, make it a, like a, a world power once more? You know, um, because obviously for anyone who built or based in, in shamanism and 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 like power dynamics, traditional power dynamics, probably wouldn't feel good about no. not seeing. Uh, seeing you as this like infantilized and feminized culture, no. um, and like it, the same way they also use the blanket um, in relation to other, other Asian countries that they had subjugated. Yeah. There's a really unfortunate <laughs> misnomer uh, or like misnaming when they for the Labo, their the new cardboard yeah. um, toys they're making. Um, they made a Labo camp, or one of them's like a, called the Labo camp. Like a labor camp. Oh fuck! Um, and the Chinese are like, oh fuck like, you guys. Yeah, are the Chinese Koreans like? Oh my fucking god! They're <laughs> just like, oh, get the fuck out of here. Like, but the Japanese labor camps. Yeah, <laughs> sounds great. Let's do it. That's like, great. But that, that's like such an inter interesting and like um, phenomenon of just like modern Japan, where like they, even though not you know people are still alive from the point where like they 
subjugated yeah. and like um, com yeah, completely like demolish other cultures. Yeah. Um, but then now they can kind of like get away with this image of of being defanged, of being um, harmless. And it also allows them to appropriate other cultures easily because they're like, oh, it's just Japan. It's just Japan. It's cute. They like, you know, they made the, the Mexican culture into a caricature. Like, oh, is this fun? Tostitos. Um, which is just another side note. It's interesting that that like the um, that like the, the Mexican characters and you get caricatures, but then you go to the Shinto Japan era. There aren't no um, townspeople in that in that world, right? Oh, interesting. It's just the uh, it's just the aesthetic because it's just like, the enemies. Yeah, right? so, I mean, yeah, you don't really get because it's like um, a characterization of no at that Japanese point. Yeah, because at that point they just start sampling crowds from other worlds. Yeah, because like the taxi guy shows up in all of the different worlds. The new dog taxi guy <laughs> so shows up in all the different worlds. <laughs> but it's interesting to me because like I, I, yeah, there's, there's no I, like yeah. there's no like Shinto like yeah, temple, no samurai, like, samurai or like, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that is. I think related to the dichotomy of like representing somebody else's culture and then representing your own your own history, where I think you don't like it doesn't even occur to them to try and caricaturize it because it's a real culture. Yeah, it's their it's own. It's not like culture. yeah, it's not a projected image of another culture. That's so interesting. Yeah. Actually, I just want to do a little time check. Just oh to yeah. Make sure. I think we may have gone over. <laughs> Is it? I'm glad we we got to talk about silence and some of the other the other oh, um, yeah, for sure. aspects of of like. Uh, the cultural like ramifications and context behind the game. Yeah. Because while it is a super joyful experience and like fun to play, it's also interesting to think about it in terms of just like what it um, what it signifies about how Japan sees the world, or, yeah, and how um, they depict the world, yeah. and you know uh, what they think we want to see as American American players, obviously. Yeah. And worldwide. Players. Worldwide players, yeah, yeah, totally. And yeah, I think you know, sort of, it's a perfect cap off to Nintendo's <laughs> cap off to Nintendo's really good year. I mean, yeah. the release of the Switch was a fucking bombshell. Yeah, uh, fastest selling console. Fast selling console. Breath yeah. of the Wild was maybe my favorite piece of interactive software of all time. So you think Breath of the Wild beats Odyssey for you? For me, yeah. yeah. I just also finished a DLC, uh, mm -hmm. and it's like, it's incredible. It's interesting. It, they're, they're just really fun to compare, like we did earlier, just yeah. as being, as Two games that are very similar in structure, they are, but also very, very but like we said, very different, especially in, in plotting and, and, yeah. and um, pacing. Yeah, uh, I felt like yeah. um, one clear difference, for example, was like um, you know how Nintendo, a lot of the, the sort of like elite PlayStation and Xbox players, like well, Nintendo's so fucking for kids. There's not even like an achievement system. Mm -hmm. Both Zelda with the Korok seeds and. Odyssey with all of the different stars that you can find, especially in the post game when you go talk to Toad in the Mushroom Castle, and he's like, "Let me give you some named clues to some power rooms you can find around." Yeah. It's basically Nintendo being like, "Fuck achievements, build better games. Mm -hmm. Like your game should have the goals built into it." And like there was such an incredible, you know, breadth of uh, things to find in both of those games, both Breath of the Wild and Odyssey, where it's like, I don't need. Achievements. I don't yeah. need any of these trappings of metagame that are just essentially treated like padding. Especially um, stuff like um, all the Far Cries and Assassin's Creed, yeah. where it's like kill twenty leopards. Like this is not fun. No, <laughs> or just do this thing. for yeah. the sake of fucking doing. It. Yeah, like, there's no like implicit. There's no spatial challenge. There's no mechanical challenge. It's really just like um, actions for the sake of actions. Yeah. Whereas Nintendo is trying to like. Um, 
generate like um, interest just out of the building blocks and rather than like a list, you know, like, there's still a list. Yeah, there's but still it's a list. not what is, it's not as important as like each item on the list. Of playing the yeah, yeah. playing the game. Yeah, even even the car seats, I mean, even the thousand of them, like there's still like a, a couple dozen ways to like yeah. know, in each area to like uncover them. Absolutely. Yeah. And then same with the car moves. I haven't have you like seen them all or most of them? Got four hundred of them, five hundred mm -hmm. of them. I don't I feel like compelled to like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm not like going back and obsessively going yeah. over for them. But I think I'm actually going to like wait a year or yeah. two and then play the game again. Like That could be fun. It's like the kind of game where honestly, every now and again, it's 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 top 10 material, mm -hmm. you know? I just went back and started playing Chrono Trigger on this NES Classic. I'm like, oh, you know what? If I just took a few years break between plays of this game, it plays just as well every time. It's like the way I reread Moby Dick. Yeah. I reread Moby Dick once every year and a half to two years. And I find something new about it that I really love, a new theme that's emerged in my own life that I can connect to it. Yeah. I feel like Breath of the Wild, I feel like Odyssey, Moby Dick, you know, Chrono Trigger, these are like big pieces. In film, there's tons of films that we'll go back and watch select, but like a select bunch of films that I will go back and watch every couple of years just to be reminded of what I love about film. Goodfellas, There Will Be Blood, like these like powerhouse films that have like affected me and touched me very deeply. Mm. Um, and I think both Breath of the Wild and Odyssey will be among those games. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're they're worth it. Yeah. They well, earn cool. it. Yeah. I guess they earn it. Yeah. So yo, welcome to 2018. Um, go play Breath of the Wild if you haven't done that yet, and uh, keep and it. Odyssey too. Yeah. yeah. Keep it. Oh yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the game you're talking about. <laughs> you're fucking locked. Yo, we'll catch you guys next time. <laughs>